You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. Good morning, folks. Is this working? Awesome. We can't really hear from up here, which is interesting. Um, it's great to be gathered together to this morning to worship the Lord, to sing songs, to make a joyful noise to Him, um, and just what a blessing it is to gather together as the body of Christ. Um, as a few people mentioned already, this is Family Sunday, so parents, kids will be loud and noisy and distracting, that's fine. That's the nature of the family of God, we're, we're excited about that, and uh, I'm excited to have the opportunity to, to bring the message here this morning to all of us and all of our kids. Um, Today we're going to be talking about the story of Joseph. Kids, we did this in Sunday school a few months ago, so I might be asking for some help. I got some questions here, so um, hopefully you guys remember a few things. Um, yeah, bef- before we get into it, let's, let's go ahead and pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning, for the opportunity to, to serve you in this capacity. I pray that you would speak through me, that I would be your vessel, that you would purify my lips. Um, Lord, I pray that you would soften all of our hearts, that as we hear your word, we would be drawn closer to you, that we wouldn't just learn about you, but that we would be in your presence, that we would experience you today, Lord, and that that would motivate us as we go out this week and this month and this year to relentlessly pursue you, not because of any strength we have or wisdom we have, but through the strength and the wisdom that you give us through your Holy Spirit your name, amen. So kids, have any of you never had a fight with your sister or your brother? Maybe a friend or a, oh, Betsy, Betsy's never gotten into any fights or disagreements. That's good. That's good. We should all, maybe you should be up here instead of me. Uh, (laughs) um, It's pretty often that common that families have issues, right? All of our families have problems. No family's perfect. Um, Eleanor and I certainly had some disagreements this morning. Um, and, and today we're going to look at a family in the Bible, the, the family of Joseph, his family, and we're going to see that they had some pretty serious problems. Um, I think sometimes we idolize those that we see in the Scripture, and we think, well, they had it really figured out. You know, Abraham was a man of faith. It was all put together. He must have had a really great family life. And then as we read the Scriptures, we realize that anything could be true, anything but that could be true. Um, but when I talk about Joseph, does, does anyone remember which, or does, let me back up, does anyone know which of the Josephs are in the Bible? There, there's a lot, but what are some of the famous ones? Does any of the, any of the kids know? Ellie, do you know any of, the, any of the Josephs in the Bible? Which one? Co- the Code of Many Colors? Yeah, that's the Joseph we're talking about today, yeah. What are some of the other Josephs? Does anyone remember? Father of Jesus, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Joseph and Mary, Joseph of Arimathea, um, the Joseph who helped uh, bear, get a tomb and bury Jesus as well. Um, but we're talking about Joseph of the Old Testament, and they were probably actually named after him. Um, we don't know that for sure, but it seems probable. Um, so does anyone know where the story of Joseph comes from in the Bible? What book does the story of Joseph comes from? Aiden, do you remember? No, okay, anyone else? 
Genesis, angel says Genesis, okay. And angel, which, which part of the Bible is Genesis? Is that the first half, the second half, Old Testament, New Testament? Old Testament, okay. And does anyone remember what book of the Bible Genesis is? Izzy, do you know? What'd you say? The first one, yeah, it's the first story. I think whenever we read from Genesis, it's really important that we don't isolate one story from another story, but we read them a part of a whole. I know when I was a kid, I would read one story, you know, about the flood or the Tower of Babel, and they all just seemed like isolated stories and never really made sense as part of a greater narrative. So, so I think it's important that as we think about that, as we think about the start of the Bible, and that, that what, what, what we read there sort of sets up everything else, it's important that we read it a part of that broader narrative. Um, so we have the creation account, then we have the fall, then we have the flood, then we have the Tower of Babel, and then we get to Abraham, or Abram, who's later called Abraham. And in Genesis 12, one through three, it says, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and to your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So as we read about Joseph, let's keep this promise in mind. It plays a significant role not only in Joseph's story, but also in our story. Um, God keeps his promises always. And that's the first point I want to make this morning, is that our God is a reliant God. We, we know that he keeps his promises. And as we read through the Bible, we see examples of that time and time again. Um, but that doesn't mean it's always easy for us to see that or to understand that, especially right away. Sometimes it takes a little bit of time to really see that in the context of our lives. So let's see if anyone is paying attention, kids. Um, where is the story of Joseph in the Bible? Aiden, do you remember now? Genesis, yeah. And where is Genesis in the Bible? Is it the Old Testament or the New Testament? The Old Testament, okay. And does anyone know what book of the Bible, what number it is? Finn, do you remember? The first one, yeah, that's right. Yeah, right on. And then what was the first point of the sermon this morning? We just said it. Ellie? God keeps his promises, that's right. All right, so the story we're looking at specifically is found in Genesis chapters 37 through 50, which is a significant portion of the book of Genesis. Um, if you have your Bibles, you can turn along there and, and, and you can turn there and follow along as well. When we first find Joseph, he's a 17-year-old boy. He's the second youngest of 13 children. There's 12 boys and one sister. And again, if you don't think their family has problems, trust me, they've got problems. I have four, five siblings, four brothers, and if there's 13, that's, that's a recipe. Um, of all the children, Joseph was his father's favorite. Again, no cause for concern there, right? Whenever a, a parent has a favorite child, that never goes wrong. Um, and sort of like what you were saying earlier, as he, he was such the favorite that his father actually gave him a really fancy and expensive coat. Do we have a little, little picture up there? Yeah, so this is from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, a little description of his pictures. You can see you got Joseph with his fancy coat. And then who's that in the background? His brothers. Do you think they look excited or happy? They're really excited for their brother that his, their father loves him so much. No, they look a little mad. Um, so when it says, Genesis says in Genesis 37:4, it says, "When the brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him." It's pretty serious. To make matters worse, Joseph started having dreams about how one day they would bow down and serve him; that he would be their master. Do you think he, they were even more happy with him when he said that? 
Now, they, they were pretty mad at him. Um, so a little while later, Joseph's father sends him out to check on his brothers. They're tending the flocks somewhere far off. And Joseph's just going to go check in, make sure things are okay, that they have the resources that they need. And his brothers see him coming from a long way off. And instead of excited to see their brother, they think, ha, this is our chance to finally get him. They capture him, and they actually sell him into slavery, which is not a very nice thing to do. Um, the Bible tells us that if it wasn't for his older brother Reuben, they would have actually killed him. When the brothers went back home, they took Joseph's fancy coat on the other screen, um, and they, they actually put blood on it and then used that to trick their father into thinking that he had been eaten by wild animals. Meanwhile, Joseph's taken by the merchants, the, the, the slave traders, all the way to Egypt. His journey from Dothan to Egypt was likely over 300 miles long along the coast of the Mediterranean. Once in, G once in Egypt, he's sold to Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of the Pharaoh's officials, captain of the guard. So if, the next slide. Is there a map slide? Oh, I hit it. Oh, I wasn't going to share that with you guys, but there's a map slide. That's all right. Um, it pretty much just shows the, the progression of Joseph along the coast down to, down to Egypt. So at this point, if you were Joseph, how do you think you would be feeling? Aiden, imagine you were just slowed into slavery by your family and totally abandoned. Like, that's pretty scary, right? Do you think you would feel really protected by God? Yeah, probably not, right? Do you think this is exactly what my thought was? Like, when I grew up, this is what I wanted to be. Do you think he was thinking that? Probably not. Um, he must have been pretty scared too, right? The Bible doesn't tell us what Joseph was thinking. We don't get to read into his mind. But it does tell us what Joseph did and how he responded to the situation. Genesis 39, verses 3 through 6 says, When his master, master Potiphar saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of the household and entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except for the food that he ate. <clears throat> but Joseph keeps finding himself in tricky situations. Potiphar's wife ends up getting really jealous with him and accuses him of some really bad things. To protect his family and his honor, Potiphar actually throws Joseph into prison. It might be easy at this point, maybe finally Joseph is like, yeah, God, I don't know, man, this is, this is pretty rough. He's in a foreign land, his family sold him away, now he's in prison. That's pretty scary, right? Aiden, do you think you would be excited in that situation? Yeah, probably not. Do you think God forgot about Joseph? What do you think, Izzy? Yeah, probably not. Um, in fact, as the story continues, we begin to see how God has been protecting Joseph all along from the evil that surrounds him. When his brothers tried to kill him at the beginning of the story, his older brother steps up and actually saves his life. It was Reuben. And when Potiphar's wife lies about him, Potiphar could have had him killed or put into a bad prison. Maybe he sent him to do really hard slave labor. You guys know the pyramids, right? Those weren't easy to build. He could have been sent to something like that, but instead he's actually put into the king's prison, which is, of all prisons, actually not so bad. Sometimes seeing God's hand of protection in our own lives can be difficult. When we look back, though, it's often much easier. For example, when last summer when Will announced that he was stepping down, how many of us said, man, I'm really excited to see what God has in store for New City? I wasn't thinking that. I was a little nervous about where this was all going. Um, or, or when Chewy was going on sabbatical, how many thought, man, our church is on really stable ground. We've really figured this out. Like, I mean, it's, it's kind of scary, right? I mean, there, there's a lot of unknown there. Um, and yet, when I think about us as a, a people and a church, 
collectively and individually. I'm amazed at how we've all been drawn closer to Jesus during this time. It, it's, it's been so exciting to see the Holy Spirit at work here in this church through different ways, different people. Um, even this weekend, we were at uh, Redeeming Grace Church for an eldership training. Pillar has partnered in some ways more visible, some ways less visible. And it's, it's been really exciting to see how the regional church has stepped in as God's hand of provision for our church. Um, it makes me really excited to see, okay, well, in maybe in a year, maybe in six months, maybe in five years, how can we join in that? How can we sort of give back and participate and, and sort of share in, in the local church? Um, it's, it's a unique opportunity, I think, for us right now uh, to fellowship with those churches as, as the, the bride of Christ. I wouldn't wish the logistical challenges or uncertainties we've experienced on anyone. I mean, they're unpleasant, they're exhausting, right? Um, but I wouldn't trade my experiences over the last year for anything. Um, and, all, and talking about trials and temptations that we face, James writes in James 1, 12 through 13, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. James then continues in verse 17 of chapter 1 saying, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't cause bad things to happen, but God is with us, always working to redeem evil around us for our good and for his glory. My second point this morning is that our God is a redeeming God. God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love God. We'll build on that again in a few minutes. But first, let's get back to the story. So we, we've got Genesis 39, 20 through 23. It says, But while Joseph was still in prison, the Lord is with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden, so that the warden put Joseph in charge of all that he had in prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care, because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Joseph is actually put in charge of the prison, even though he himself is a prisoner. And the Bible says that Joseph is put in, part of the, put in charge of the prison because the Lord was with Joseph. Not because Joseph was all that special, but the Lord was with Joseph. This is very familiar to what's said about how Joseph was put in charge of Potiphar's house. We read about him just a few minutes ago. So can anyone remind me what the first point of the sermon was today? Does anyone remember? Ellie? God keeps his promises, yeah. And does anyone remember who the great-grandfather of Joseph was? So who's, who's Joseph's father? Does anyone know that? Is he, uh, Ellie? Jacob. And then who's Jacob's father? Does anyone remember? Isaac, yeah. And then Isaac's father is Abraham, yeah. And what did we read about Abraham earlier? I'll read it again. It says in Genesis 12, 2-3 says, And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be blessing and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. <laughs> Again, we see God's promise to Abraham to be a blessing to all the families of the earth being fulfilled, first in Potiphar's house and now in prison. God's covenant or promise to Abraham applies to Joseph as his descendant, and we can see God honoring that promise by blessing Potiphar's house and the, in the, in the king's prison through Joseph. Wherever Joseph goes, God is with him even when it looks like things are falling apart. So, so what? Why do we care? 
It's a good question to ask when you're listening to a sermon, right? Like, what, what, is this, what does this matter? Um, it's fair to say that Joseph had a unique and special connection to God. It's pretty obvious. However, we have more in common with Joseph, I think, than we might realize. And Apostle Paul recognizes this when he writes to the church in Galatia in Galatians 3.29, saying, And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offsprings, heirs according to his promise. And he says again in Galatians 3, 7 through 9, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And if that wasn't clear enough, we have Romans 4, 13 through 16. He writes, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir to the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For, it is the adher- for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but there is no law and there is no transgression. That, that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. The point Paul is making is that we are Abraham's descendants by faith, not due to a shared bloodline or because we're perfect at keeping the law. At least we despair and think that Abraham was perfect, he had a perfect man of faith. The Bible has many examples where Abraham is anything but perfectly faithful. We don't need to be perfect. In fact, we can't be perfect. And I'm going to say that again, because one, it's a little cliche, but I mean, I think sometimes we just brush over. We think, yeah, yeah, we can't be perfect, whatever, whatever, and we move on. But that's pretty cool, right? We can't be perfect, and we don't need to be perfect. And we're not asked to be perfect. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> instead, of, instead of complying perfectly with the law, the Bible says that we need to have faith. The emphasis isn't on physical action, but on the posture of the heart. And because the Holy Spirit is living within us and at work within us, that's actually possible. It's pretty cool. That's pretty freeing, I think. So let's continue with the story of Joseph. So one of Joseph's new prison responsibilities was caring for other prisoners. One morning, two prisoners each had a different dream, and they must look pretty shaken up because when he sees them in the morning, he asks right away, what's wrong? What, What happened? And they tell him that they had dreams that they didn't understand. And God replies, saying that God can help understand their dreams. So they tell the dreams to Joseph, and then God helps Joseph to understand, and he then explains it to them. He tells, them that, uh, he tells the one man that in three days, um, he's going to be restored to his position as cupbearer. And three days later, his prediction comes true. God helped Joseph to explain the dream and see the future. Joseph predicted that the king would take one man out, the cupbearer, and restore him. That's pretty cool, right? If someone told you the future, do you think you would forget about it right away? Yeah, anyone thinks they just, you know, whatever, it happens all the time. Like, people always tell me the future, it's not that big a deal. No, that's, that's pretty impressive, right? And yet, when the cupbearer goes back to work, he totally forgets about Joseph. Joseph asks him to put in a kind word at the Pharaoh, maybe to secure his release, get him into a better spot, and totally forgets about it. Um, that is until the Pharaoh, the king, actually had a scary dream two years later. So there's a two-year gap there. So this is the dream uh, that, that Pharaoh had. He was standing by the Nile, when out of the river came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and stood beside those in the riverbank. The cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. So I think, yeah, in the picture we've got, on the left we've got really healthy-looking cows, 
And then on the right, we got sort of skinny, scary cows. And then in the second dream, he fell asleep, had a second dream, and there were seven heads of grain, healthy and good. They were growing on a single stalk. And after them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin grains swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So on the bottom, again, we've got two nice, really full-looking heads of grain, and then we've got two sort of nasty, dried-out ones. And the dried-out ones eat the healthy ones. So does anyone try to, want to try to understand these dreams? Does anyone know what they mean? Ellie? Yeah, absolutely. That's right on. Awesome. So what do you think Pharaoh wanted to do when he woke up? He just had two really scary dreams he doesn't understand. He's going to figure out what these mean, right? And he's, he's Pharaoh of Egypt. He's got some power. And normally he keeps people around to sort of help him explain the mysterious and the unknown. But this time, no one can explain it to him. Either, either this Bible doesn't specify, but either their answers don't make sense to him, or he doesn't believe them, or he thinks they're lying, or he, whatever it is, he's not satisfied. He needs to know that someone is out. He needs to find someone who really knows what they're talking about. And that's when the cupbearer remembers there was a Hebrew guy in prison two years ago that was able to help with dreams. So Pharaoh calls Joseph, comes before him and says, hey, can you explain these dreams? What do you think Joseph said? And I see Chewie shaking his head, but it's a trick question. Joseph actually says, no, I can't explain the dreams, but God can. Sorry to pick on you, Chewie. <laughs> it's a great opportunity. Um, so God then helps Joseph understand that the two dreams actually mean the same thing, that there will be seven years of good farming, like what Ellie was saying, with lots of food, followed by seven years of pretty awful farming, so much so that all the extra food from before will be gone, the famine. Um, Pharaoh's so impressed with how uh, God helps Joseph to understand these things that he actually promotes him to be second in command of all, of all of Egypt, a visor. It's kind of like going from jail to being the vice president, right? That's a pretty, pretty quick change, right? Imagine one day you were in jail and the next day you're in charge of the country. It's pretty impressive, right? But the story doesn't end there. It's not, that's not the end of the story. And it's, it's good, too, remember? Because there was all that conflict with Joseph and his brothers. So Joseph's, uh, Joseph's dreams at the very beginning, the coat, his brothers hated him, they sold him into slavery. That isn't left unresolved. The Bible tells us that the famine is so bad and so widespread that even his brothers ran out of food. And remember, they're about 300, 270 miles away. Their father Jacob hears that there's food in Egypt, so he sends his sons to Egypt to buy food. And when they arrive, Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him right at first, but Joseph recognizes them. And there's actually a really interesting story. We're not going to go into all of it today, but the back and forth of how Joseph tests them and eventually reveals himself to his brothers. But when Joseph finally says, hey guys, do you remember me? I'm Joseph. What do you think they were, do you think they were excited to see him? What do you think, Aiden? No, I think they were a little scared. Remember, they threw him into, into, into slavery, and now Joseph's the big man on campus. He, it's like, imagine you put the vice president in jail by accident. Or maybe you did it on purpose, and then you're meeting with him face to face. So you might be scared about what he's going to do to you, right? But how Joseph responds, I think, is really cool. In, in, in Genesis 45:8, it says, "So then Joseph says, to, talking to his brothers, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God." And I mean, his brothers did send him there, right? Like we know that we read that in the scriptures. But what Joseph's saying is that it was God working through that situation. 
And then in Genesis 50, verse 20, it says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph's brothers were going to kill him right away, remember? But instead, Joseph ends up becoming the very one who's able to save them and all of their families. They come and get food from Joseph. There are a lot of elements to the story of Joseph. The story of God's faithfulness to his promise to Abraham to bless his descendants, and ultimately the nations through his descendants. Something we see so plainly in Jesus, uh, sorry, in Joseph being sent ahead to provide food, not just for Egypt, but for all the people, including his own family. The story of Joseph also demonstrates that not only is God sovereign, but that God can and does redeem all things. This is the second point that we already mentioned, um, that God redeems all things for those who have put their trust in him. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans 8:28, and some of you may know this verse, it's a common one, especially in Hallmark cards, um, but it's true. And we know that all things work together for good of them that love God and to them who are called according to his purpose. Joseph was called according to God's purpose. God didn't cause the bad things to happen to him, but God did call him to respond to them. And because Joseph trusted God and followed him, he ended up helping to save Egypt and his whole family. One of Joseph's brothers, Judah, ends up establishing the, the Israel tribe of Judah, which is where King David comes from, and eventually Jesus. When we step back and look at the big picture, we realize just how awesome God really is and how exciting it is for us to be a part of his people. I mean, just imagine if Joseph was like, nah, this whole thing stinks, right? Like, I'm, I'm not going to play along with this story. And he, maybe he stalls out at Potiphar's house, or he stalls out in prison, not trusting God, not living his life in response to God's calling. God would have raised someone else up. God's sovereign, God's powerful, he would. But what an opportunity for Joseph to be a part of that. What an opportunity we have to be a part of that. What about you right now? I think it's reasonable to suggest that things aren't always the way that we want them to be um, in our lives. I mean, I mean, look at our church, right? Like things are not ideal, especially from a logistical, worldly perspective. Um, think about some of the trials or difficulties that you're dealing with. And instead of asking God to just remove the difficulties or hardships, think about how these circumstances give you a unique opportunity to bless someone else. In other words, think about how God might use you to be a part of redeeming all things. The biblical account of Joseph makes it clear that he wasn't sitting on his hands waiting for God to save him. Instead, we see Joseph in a couple different situations working as if for the Lord, despite his circumstances. In Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, after discussing the armor of God, Paul says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words might be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, and I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Notice Paul isn't asking them to pray that his chains are gone, that he could be set free. Instead, Paul uses his unusual opportunity that the chains afford him to minister to an otherwise difficult-to-reach area of Roman society. I, wa I want to challenge each of you to really examine your life and struggles, small, large, public, private, that you're dealing with. Do you know that God is our redeemer? Do you believe that God is your redeemer? And that he's more than capable of using our situations, however fragile or broken, for the good, for our good and for his glory? Now elsewhere in 2 Corinthians 7, uh, 12, 7 through 12, we also see Paul praying three times that God would remove the, quote, thorn in his flesh. We should be wise and careful in our application of this uh, principle, and things aren't always so clean cut. In these situations, no one's life was immediately in danger. If you are in a dangerous situation, I encourage you to avail yourself of every possible situation to get out. We're not called to be senselessly suffering. 
Um, and, and God gave us a brain for a reason. Um, but, and even, even Joseph asked the cupbearer to remember him when he returns to work, you know, trying to take advantage of that opportunity um, to, to get out of prison. But what's so extraordinary, extraordinary about the example of Paul or Joseph, and honestly many others in, in, the, in, the, in the Bible, is that while they waited for an answer for that initial prayer, they took advantage of their situation. They didn't, they didn't wait to be saved to work for the Lord. They were working for the Lord as they were waiting for their salvation. Um, and they took that opportunity to be a blessing to others and to proclaim the gospel wherever they were. Something else that's really cool about the story of Joseph is how it foreshadows the first coming of Jesus. Joseph was planned to be put to death by those who should have recognized him and loved him. He was punished for sin he did not commit and in turn was raised up to the right hand of Pharaoh's throne. His, his sacrifice ended up saving not just his immediate family, the beginnings of the Jewish people, but people from all nations in that region from the devastating famine. Similarly, instead of recognizing Jesus for who he really was, we crucified him. That Jesus had no sin, he bore our sin and the punishment that we all deserved on the cross. His sacrifice on the cross and subsequent resurrection has enabled us to be restored to God the Father, something that we could never have done on our own. And in his resurrection, he was raised to the right hand of the throne, not of Egypt this time, but of our Father in heaven, where he now sits and intercedes for us. Joseph was imperfect. He made mistakes, a shadow of who was to come, but Jesus is without fault, the perfect sacrifice. I want to acknowledge that we live in a broken world full of sin and depravity. That much should be pretty obvious, I think, to all of us. God never promises that life will be easy and that we'll have lots of money or that the people we love will love us back. It would be easy to look at God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 12 as a promise that all things would be easy and fun. But when we understand that promise in light of the story of Joseph, Jesus, Stephen, Peter, Paul, and the worldly hardships that they and many others in the Bible endured, we begin to see that the blessing that God has poured out on us through Jesus and the Holy Spirit is far greater than any material blessing that we might want. There is hope. There is hope because God is with us. He's with those who place their faith in him and become descendants to Abraham and share in the promise that God made to him. In fact, one of the names that we know Jesus by is Emmanuel. We often sing about that at Christmas. It means God is with us. Not only are God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit with us, but we know that one day Christ will return, and we know that God keeps his promises. Maybe even today he'll return. <clears throat> and when he does, he will call his children to himself where we will spend eternity with him. God keeps his promises, and we can place our confidence in him, knowing that God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love God. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that we would live our lives in response to you, that we wouldn't wait for things to be perfect before we served you, but that we would serve you in the midst of our broken and fragile lives, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't need things to be perfect before we could trust you, but that we would trust you in the midst of hardship. I pray that as we, we think about the story of Joseph, we, we think about the story of Jesus, we think about our story, um, that we would be encouraged and strengthened by this, the reminder that you do keep your promises and that you are working actively in this world around us even today to redeem all things for our good and for your glory. In your name, amen.